Hey friends, welcome back to Flourishing Your Faith. If you're on your daily walk, drive to work or school, or simply just making a dinner, I pray these conversations bring glory to God and ultimately draw you closer to Him. I decree that your relationship with Jesus will flourish and faithful fruit will be the evidence of that. Alrighty friends, thank you so much for joining. For the We are in the seventh day of podcastmas. It is day seven. Happy December 7th. Woohoo! We are a weekend in December. Really excited for this podcast episode. We're going to be talking about Jesus, as always, and <laughs> we're going to read some red letters about when Jesus heals some people. He has talked about him being the Messiah and all that jazz. So let's get started. So, in Luke 7, it starts off with Jesus healing a Centron servant. So, Centron, if I'm saying that right, I don't know if I am, but those people were Roman soldiers. So, this Centron heard of Jesus and he had a servant that was dear to him that was about to die and he found Jesus or heard about Jesus and was like I know this man has done miracles so I'm gonna find him and get him to heal my servant so whenever this man comes and Jesus comes with them and he's not far from the house the Centron sent another set of friends to Jesus and said Lord do not trouble yourself for I'm not worthy that you should enter my roof so obviously he's a Roman soldier these people have oppressed the Jewish people for years and so he's not worthy and no wonder he would think that he wasn't worthy okay and but instead instead of telling him to come to my roof he says but say the word and my servant will be healed for I'm also a man placed under authority having soldiers under me so he viewed Jesus as Lord. I mean, even in his response to Jesus, he he literally starts off as Lord. He views Jesus as Lord, supreme, having authority. And a person, he's a person that understands authority and he understood and had expectation of Jesus' authority to heal and to, to do these miracles because he had expectation of who he was. And Wow, if we could just grasp that people, that we could just have that kind of expectation of God that I know that he will heal and that he can heal and that that's something that is in his character and that's something he has authority to do. So I take it as done right now. I take it as done, even if I don't see it in my natural eyes, I take it as done in the spirit and Wow, how amazing is that to think of that? And I that and this type of faith is what Jesus marveled at. It says he marveled at his that, at his faith. And only a few times in the in the gospels is the word marveled. Um, Jesus marvels at something. It is one time was whenever it was great unbelief, and one time when, when it was great belief, and this is that time. And or great faith. One is unbelief and one is faith. And it is amazing to to see the expectation of a Roman soldier, of God working in his servant, even if he hadn't seen it yet and hadn't seen the root of it at all. Just how beautiful is that? How beautiful is that? Wow. Then we go into verse 11 through 17, and Jesus is raises the son of the widow of Nan. So he raises the son from the dead. And this woman that is his mother is also a widow. And he was her only son. And so Jesus raises him from the dead. And 
he, but the coolest thing that stuck out to me, because I've read this story before, I've heard sermons about this story before, but the coolest thing that stuck out to me was that in verse 13, and it said, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, do not weep. And then he, he, and then he rose her son from the dead. And I just think it's so beautiful when, you know, in the Bible, it talks about how Jesus had compassion for people and he saw her. And I feel like we often see Jesus and God as just a dictator and someone that's not on our level or doesn't see things at our level. But honestly, it's quite the opposite that God and, you know, because Jesus was man and God, he truly feels these emotions and he feels compassion for people and he wants to save and he wants to redeem and he wants to help. And I feel like that just reiterates the character of God that he loves. God is love. We were trying to search for all these, all these things, but God is that. And I just thought that was so beautiful because he saw her individually. He pointed her out. God pointed her out and saw her. And I just know that God is the kind of God that sees us. And even when we seem like we're hidden or we see, we seem like nobody is looking at us or looking at our way, God is the God that sees you. And I just thought that was so, so, so beautiful. All right. Then in verse 18 through 23, it talks about how um, Jesus' response to all the miracles, he thought all these miracles were happening, okay? And then John's disciples, they come to Jesus and they're asking him, because John told him them to go ask, and John's curious about if he's the actual Messiah or if they need to go look for someone else. And Jesus basically tells him that the, lame, the blind has seen, the lame has walked, the livers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And so he basically quoted in Isaiah where um, these miracles are found in the prophecy of Isaiah by the Messiah. And Jesus is fulfilling them, which is so cool. So that's like his way of telling John that, yes, I am the Messiah. <laughs> and then it talks about how blessed is the man who is not offended because of me. Jesus's ministry was offensive in nature. It was uh, offensive, especially to the Jewish like Pharisees and to the Jewish people that didn't want to receive his gospel, um, because it was very different than what a lot of people thought it would be. I think at that time the Jews were really thinking that Jesus was going to come and he's going to be a soldier and was going to be somebody that was going to fight for them and be something that was going to fight against the Roman Empire and take down the Roman Empire. But honestly, it was quite bigger than they it was actually a bigger perspective than they thought it was going to be it was to save not just the jewish jewish people but also the gentiles even the roman people it was to save all of the world from their sin and from their iniquity and uh, uh they they only saw the small picture and because of that the way that jesus came about and the way that jesus's gospel was shared it was offensive to them because they it wasn't what they was they were expecting. Alrighty. And then in verse 24 through 35, it talks Jesus talks about John the Baptist to the people. He talks about how John Baptist prepared the way for him. And he said that there's no greater prophet than John the Baptist, but the but who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And it was wonderful because in verse 31 through 35, Jesus says a parable about, he said, to what then 
shall I liken the men of this generation, and what are they like? They are like a children staying in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not weep. And basically, all of that was to say that no matter what Jesus or John does, the people who have a heart to criticize will find something to criticize in them. That it doesn't matter if John had never ate bread or never drank wine, they're still going to say that he has a demon inside of him. It doesn't matter if Jesus comes eating and drinking, they're going to think that he is a drunken and they're going to think that all these things. So it's, it's so, somebody's going to find something to accuse them from. That's basically what he was saying. And very true. <laughs> very, very true. Then one of my favorite parts of Luke is talked about. It is verse 36 through 50. And it is the sinful woman forgiven is the title of my um, chapter. And it's about the woman with the alabaster box. So, so, so beautiful. So the description of this woman in the beginning of it um, basically infers that she's a sinful woman. Maybe she was a prostitute. They don't know quite sure. They're not quite sure. They don't know quite sure. (laughs) they're not quite sure about what the specific sin that she was dealing with was but they think that she was uh, in prostitution but she brought to the pharisee's house because jesus was at the pharisee's house brought into the pharisee's house did not care that she was a sinful woman brought into the pharisee's house an alabaster box flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped him with the hair on her head and she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil Hmm. so this was probably a very expensive perfume most women in those days apparently carried perfume around their neck as a necklace it was something that that was personable to them and personal to them so she poured out what was all that she had all that was personally hers it was an it was a it was a personal offering to god and it was something that was sacrificial it was something that cost her something and it was because jesus had saved her and he had she had found finally found the one the messiah the savior that was able to forgive her and able to save her and because of that her expression of her worship was so it, it seemed kind of crazy. It seemed kind of, you know, outlandish or even people would think, oh, she, she should be embarrassed by how she praised God. But in all reality, no. Because it, God was so worthy that she would give everything. All that she had to wash his feet and anoint, him, and anoint his feet with her tears. Because she was so grateful to be in the presence of the Messiah. Like, wow. Wow. And this probably was an awkward moment. My, my commentary was talking about how it probably was a pretty awkward moment until Jesus broke the silence. And the coolest thing is that Jesus broke the silence was not talking to the Pharisees that were obviously questioning what's going on right now. He answered the silence. He, he, um, he broke the silence. My answer was silence. He broke the silence with asking Simon and saying, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so he gives a parable and he said, there's a certain creditor who has two debtors, deb- debtors, one owed 500 denarii and other 50. 
when they had nothing which with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which one of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And that, and you have rightly judged, Jesus says, the one who, him, whom he forgave more had the more love for the one that forgave. And isn't that interesting that the one who Jesus has miraculously saved or redeemed are the ones in church that are most likely praising their hands, raising their hands, jumping up and down, you know, just praising God with all their might and living it out every day. Like those people are the most, most expressive in their praise in some, in some ways. And your worship really reflects how much gratitude you have and how much love you have for the father because of what you've been through and what he saved you from and it for the people that you know have doesn't have that kind of miraculous testimony like i mean i have you know my testimony is i mean pretty weak in a way compared to other people's testimonies i i say that with quotations because i'm not calling my 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 testimony different than others or weaker than others but i'm saying compared to other testimonies i have it good i didn't you know really shy away from god too much i was only you know i was grew up in church and i've known the lord all my life and so that is a blessing but in a way i could you know at the time before i knew Jesus to the fullest, I would, you know, maybe raise my hands if I wanted to. It was kind of not something that was cool or not something that I wanted to do. I didn't want to draw attention to myself. And it was very selfish, my praise. Until I truly saw who I was and my spiritual bankruptcy that we talked about before, my spiritual bankruptcy compared to Jesus and how much higher he is than me and understanding how much I need him every day. That is what makes me want to glorify God, just like this sinful woman did, because we are all sinful. We all fall short of the glory of God. And it just was something that really stuck out to me, that her worship was a reflection of who who she loved. And we're all going to worship something. So we might as well worship Jesus, especially if we call ourselves Christians. Alrighty, friends. That is Luke 7. I hope that you had an amazing time listening to me talk about Luke 7. If you want to be a part of our broadcast channel so you could put your own notes and your own thoughts about, about this chapter in there, go ahead and look, look at the link below and follow my Instagram on there and you'll be able to join our broadcast channel and then we can all have a wonderful family on there. Alrighty, friends. I hope you have an amazing day and I'll see you tomorrow for Podcast Day 8. Bye!